Bonsoir. <laughs> Sorry, a week, a week ago I was in Matthew's hometown, Lubumbashi, in the DRC, and it was great to be there. And now I can tell you why Matthew can sing so well, because <laughs> all of his countrymen can sing very well. So they're very big on choirs and singing, and uh, it's just on another level. So it was really amazing. Yeah, it's great to be here. I want to honor the leaders, uh, all the leaders in the church, and especially Pastor Reino and Liana, and they're good friends of mine. And it's just amazing what I experienced here with you tonight so far. Just the presence of God is so tangible in your midst. And God is here, and He will meet you at your point of need. I know we all have challenges and, and struggles and sometimes issues with, with our faith levels and all of these things, but the Lord is not intimidated and he, he wants to bless you, and He wants to use you for His glory, and there's no greater privilege. So you guys are in the right place, and I just loved worshiping with you tonight. It's a real privilege. Um, I get to serve and, and minister in lots of different churches and denominations, and um, as so far, the Lord has you know, blessed us in a, in a whole different way, and, and there's something truly special, and it feels like coming home every time I get to Share in a shofar church, so it's it's just so awesome. This morning I was in Franschhoek, and it, it's really great what what God is doing. So thank you for the invitation, and uh, just very shortly, on your way out, feel free at the info table there are these colour brochures just to tell you a bit more about what we do. But African Enterprise basically exists to evangelise the cities of Africa through word and deed in partnership with the church. So we work interdenominationally. Our core ministry is, of course, evangelism, but also do social action projects. And we also uh, do leadership development and then reconciliation. So we love to see churches come together, sort of interdenominational reconciliation. And then also, of course, across racial lines as well. We just want to see God's children come together. Where often we very focused on, on our own sort of uh, projects and, and vision. But God's got a bigger vision for us all together. And it's amazing when we do come together for a specific purpose or for a mission, that unity, the blessing that comes with that is just out of this world. It's, it's so amazing. In the first six months of this year, um, and we've got a very small team in South Africa. We're based in Peter Maritzburg. In the first six months of this year, just to give you an indication, we've managed to preach to over 55,000 people and... Well over 17,000 have come to faith in Christ, and it's just amazing to see. For me, that's the greatest joy, seeing somebody come into God's kingdom and uh, just their eyes open up as they put their faith and their trust in Christ. It's uh, the biggest gift and reward for me on this side of eternity, so I feel very privileged that uh, God has given me that opportunity. Not too long from now, we're actually going to be busy on uh, UCT. For a few days, and uh, you guys, we, we trust, will be joining us as well. So there will be some lunch hour talks and a couple of other gatherings. That will be from the 25th to the 30th of September, so just after your holiday break. So please do join us for that. Look out uh, for details from Matthew, and then we'll, we'll have details closer to the time. But yeah, we're very excited to, to come through. I studied at the second best university in Africa. Um, of course, you guys know you ranked number one. So, you know, be the head and not the tail. We probably were the neck, you know, out there <laughs> in Stellenbosch, just hot on your heels. But uh, I studied accountancy and worked in the UK for a few years in corporate. And, and in that time, I had no relationship with Jesus and I didn't even have a Bible. And I'm just grateful for what the Lord did in my life. I want to encourage you tonight that you know we live in a very broken world in probably the most confused time in history uh, people don't even know anymore if they men or women um, people need the truth problem is the truth often hurts before it heals and people don't want to hear anything that's going to offend them or that challenges their way of life or their thinking and so we have to be very bold and brave as believers to actually go out there and share the gospel because more and more Christians are coming under fire for just sharing scripture. 
for just sharing something that we believe is life-changing and, and uh, brings freedom. So I want to encourage you to share your stories. The power of story cannot be underestimated. You were one to witness. You were not called to convince. That's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's work. To convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. But we were one to witness. Acts 1 verse 8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Witness. Tell your story. Each of us have a story. And because I've been blessed to have traveled even in the last year, um, done a lot of traveling, that in itself is challenging. You're away from your family a lot, but uh, you know it's been part of the work and in getting to know the ministry around the world and in Africa. And wherever you go, people are more similar than what we are different. It doesn't matter where we grow up or what, what ethnic group. People are very, very similar. And we all struggle with the same temptations and the same sin all over the world. And it's the same gospel message that sets people free. And so when you tell your story, it doesn't really matter who's sitting in front of you, who's listening to you. There's going to be something in that story that's going to be meaningful and potentially life-changing for them. So don't shy away like, well, my testimony is this way or that way. Every one of our stories is powerful because Christ is in that story. And it's because Christ has interwoven his story with ours that we've got something to rejoice about, that we've got something to share with the world. So I was really convinced that uh, by the Lord tonight to share something of my story. And there might be two or three of you that have heard something of my story before, then I hope it will bless you again. Um, I see mostly faces that I don't recognize. So, yeah, I just like to share my story, but... Before I get there, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your presence here with us, Lord. And in fact, that you have promised never to leave us, Lord, but that you've welcomed us through the blood of Christ. And so we, we give you all the glory and all the praise, Lord. Tonight has been just a celebration of the cross from start to finish, even as we witnessed the baptisms, Lord God, such a celebration, a sacrament, Lord, testifying of, of your death and your resurrection and of the new life that we have in Christ. Lord, being born into the kingdom, God, we thank you that, that we can know you, Lord. Thank you for your heart, which is to set us free. Your heart, which is to save us, Lord, from death and destruction. Lord, we thank you that you know better, and we thank you that you love us. Thank you also, Lord, that you've given us a choice, Lord, so that we can know, Lord, that you love us. You've never forced yourself on anyone, Lord. And so we thank you, God, that there's an open invitation for everybody here tonight to draw near to you. Lord, I just commit myself to you, and I ask, Lord, that you'll bless the words of my mouth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. So I grew up in the same town where I studied in Stellenbosch, not too far from here. So I've spent most of my life in the Western Cape and the Boerland, um, about at least 38 of my 41 years. And yeah, it was good growing up in Stelly's beautiful place and, you know, good schools and all of that. And I was a pretty good boy. I've always been a little bit of a perfectionist. So I did my homework and I was well behaved. And I used to pack out my school clothes the day before for school the next day. Sort of the model boy next door. That's, that's who I was. Um, and so, I'd, you know, I'd, I did quite well academically and sport-wise and 
I wasn't distracted yet with the sort of the pleasures that the world has to offer. But that it doesn't take too long for that to come into the picture. And so we used to go to church as well at one of the traditional churches. And, and there you get confirmed when you're about 16 years old. And you spend a few weeks with the, the minister and, you know, he takes you through a few sessions. And I remember asking him a question. What if you grew up on a desert island and there was no church, no Christians, and you die there without having heard about Jesus? Are you going to go to heaven or hell? And he didn't actually volunteer an answer to that question. And so I just came to the conclusion that being a Christian had more to do with your geographical location, where you kind of grew up, in which home or which culture you grew up than anything else. So I made my mind up. I was a Christian, but by default. And somehow all roads lead to heaven. Sound familiar? And because of that, what was the point of wasting Sunday mornings any longer? You know, there's better things to do. I can go for a cycle ride, go to the beach, some social engagement. Hey, my weekend has just freed up. You know, so I stopped going to church. And uh, I never used to to pray, never read my Bible. They gave us a Bible, but I never read it. So I just gathered dust on the bookshelf, and, and that was it. You know, if you asked me what religion I was, I would have ticked Christian, because they, they used to ask still on most forms what religion you are. Um, and so the, the problem, however, is that religion is very deceptive. Romans 3 verse 23 says that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And religion doesn't deal with the problem of sin. Religion is more to do with tradition, ritual, ceremony, going through the motions. But there's no heart connection. The sin doesn't go away. You don't get any victory over temptation. And so the temptation started coming thick and fast in my senior years in high school and uh, I was in a, a boys' school, and then it was varsity. And now there's girls around you that you want to impress and all of that as well. So a lot of pressure, a lot of freedom. Now you've got your driver's license. You're getting a job over the weekend, so you've got some money to spend. And, you know, I was in the res in my first year. Parents not looking over my shoulder the whole time. And, yeah, didn't have the character to boot. So the perfectionism went out of the window. So did the early morning lectures. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Finrick was never that appealing to me anyway. <laughs> but yeah, and so I uh, decided, well, in a bid to become more popular with the ladies in Stellenbosch, you, you have to join the rugby team. So I did that. And I didn't start playing for the first team straight away. I never played at school. So I didn't start playing for the first team straight away, but I started drinking for the first team, unfortunately. And there in, in the Boerland, it's brandy and Coke. You know, sort of just two fingers of brandy and then some Coke on top of that. And, and that got me into a lot of trouble, but I was good at it. You know, I found something that I was really good at. And, and I got a lot of courage and was able to communicate with the ladies and all of that. And, uh, but, you know, at the same time started getting into fights and, and all of that. Anyway, um, a miracle that I got my degree in uh, management accounting at Stellenbosch. And I just decided, okay, I'm going to do that two-year working holiday that they used to shell out uh, to the U.K., and so I went over the beginning of 2000, and uh, yeah, the economy was still good that time, so you got a job just like this, and the next week you were applying already for a job that pays more, so you're just hopping around until you got sort of the sweet spot, and you're earning good money, and uh, the parties just continued, but got a lot rougher than what it was here in South Africa. Now your parents are especially far away, that, you know, they can't even smell anything on you, so... It didn't just stay with, with alcohol, got into ecstasy and clubbing and this and that. And 
you know, you, you wake up in the morning and you don't even know where you are or how you got there and grateful that you're alive and then you just want to kind of forget about the previous night so you go binging again. And uh, it was just kind of surviving Monday to Friday just to make it to the next weekend. But that numbness inside just keeps growing and you keep trying to feed it. And, and I have a very addictive personality. I like to do things 100%. I'll focus on that and I'll go 100%. So if I'm drinking, I'm drinking 100%. Yeah, well, straw rum is 80%, but I was going for it. And, you know, alcohol poisoning a few times and whatever else. So it was rough getting into fights with gangsters. London has gangsters as well. It's not just the Cape Flats. There's gangsters there as well. But there you're dealing with, like, Eastern European gangs, Albanians, and you name it. And uh, my cousin, much bigger than me, used to play for Saracens under 21 and practice with some of the... Uh, English national team rugby players and so I used to start the fights and he used to rescue me and get in the fights you know so I had a partner in crime I've got to thank him uh, it's part of God's grace on my life at that stage and so sin is very destructive I mean I can list countless times where I could have died very easily sin will always lead to death that's what Romans 6 23 tells us the wages of sin is death don't think, you know, as young people, and we've got a lot of freedom, and there's so many temptations out there, don't think you can play with fire and not get burnt. And, you know, sure, I mean, when we're with the Lord, uh, He sets us free from all of that guilt. But if I could turn back the clock, I wouldn't go and do those silly things again. It's, I not only damaged myself, I damaged other people. And I caused my parents a lot of pain because they knew, even though they were 12,000 kilometers away, they knew what I was getting up to. And, uh, and so I survived my two years there and came back to South Africa and tried to get a job and I struggled to get work. I wasn't trying that hard because I wasn't actually that happy to be back in South Africa. Um, and I just carried on, sort of joined a rugby club, carried on the parting thing and just managed to get it. I got a designated driver for myself so I could just spend all my pounds in the pubs. And uh, yeah, my, my bad habits followed me. Now, in that year, I got my Irish passport through my grandfather and whatever. And then I decided, well, great, I'm now out of here permanently. Never coming back like... If I knew about the shaking the dust off your feet, that's what I would have done. Because <laughs> I just said, no, I'm, I'm over this and I'm going to go and live in the UK. And, and so I sold my last belongings and I moved over and I broke contact with my parents and everybody. Because they were already on my case, you know, really moaning at me at my life choices and my bad habits and everything. And so I, I'm like, well, I'm going to go and make life out on that side life is easier you can earn more money you can buy things cash and if worse comes to worse the government will look after you they'll put you up in a flat and whatever you know and so i thought no let let me go back there and so i moved back there beginning of 2003 and now it's a permanent move so now i decided i'm not going to go and slum it in the north of london with you know eastern europe and the rest of south africa I'm going to now try and find a nice place on the river and start building my palace and my life and the vision, you know. Then the vision was convertible BMW, four girls in the back seat, as much money as I want, you know, penthouse, whatever. That was what I thought. That's what I thought the, as good as life could get. And so... In my time in South Africa the previous year, I'd met a girl and I thought, well, she's really pretty. She was planning to go over to the UK. So, hey, you know, how about we hook up, you know, move into my place. Let's see how it goes. So I thought I actually might, you know, settle down with her. Um, the, I still had some issues with a British accent. Didn't find it as attractive, you know. So I thought, well, this girl is, is as good as going to get. She was very young. She was fresh out of school, 18 years old. I was 25. And she moved in with me. And I think my expectations were 
just on another level, you know, because I, I, I got a good job quite quickly in the second biggest company in the world. It's a Japanese holding company on Fleet Street, and it's like there on the top floor. And when I got home, I expected a warm home-cooked meal and the house cleaned up. But instead, I would find that she had gone shopping with my money and <laughs> the dishes from last night are still there and there's no food. And we lasted 10 days. <laughs> so, you know, so I'd give her some lip, but she would fight back because she was quite feisty uh, from the strand. So, yeah. Things got quite rough, but then I said, okay, this is not working out, you know, we're like we're going to kill each other here. Her friends had also come over to the UK, so I decided, let's move you out to your friends, you, you go stay there, we'll go our separate ways. Now, she took it very bad, and she took an overdose and locked herself in the bathroom. I managed to get her out into the hospital, and, and she was okay, but I still said, no, this is not going to work. So I moved her out, and then I had a, a quiet weekend by my standards, um, you know, just a couple of cold ones, and most of Sunday I just hung around and slept, completely oblivious to the fact that uh, God had an appointment with me. What I didn't know was that my mother was praying for me. My mother was praying for me with a group of ladies that I don't know for four years. Up to that point, they were praying for me for four years every week that God would save me. And God was about to answer their prayers. And so, prayer is powerful. Don't stop praying for your friends, your family, your classmates. First, talk to God about people before you talk to people about God. Okay, James 5.16 says that the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. Prayer is powerful. And so... That afternoon, 23rd of March, Sunday afternoon, 2003, I woke up, made myself a meal, went for a walk in the park, came back, sat there on my bed. It's like, okay, what now? And then suddenly I, I, I was a little bit overwhelmed by feelings of guilt for this girl that tried to kill herself because of me. And so I was like, man, I don't want her to do, I don't want her to hurt herself. Like, I don't want her blood on my hands. So what must I do? Okay, I decided I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God helps her. She needs help. Okay. <laughs> now, I hadn't prayed for years. I hadn't prayed for years, like maybe for Renterek exam or something like that. It didn't even work. I repeated it. <laughs> so I gave up on prayer in varsity, you know, because you still had to study. And... Uh, so, I didn't even have a Bible with me, nothing. But I decided, and I knew who I was directing my prayer at. You know, the God that I'd learned about at Sunday school. That's who I was directing my prayer at. And the next moment, I, I don't know what I said, sort of, dear God, if you can hear me, please help her. And the next moment, God just rushed in. His spirit just came over me. I was alone in my apartment. And immediately i mean what i experienced words cannot describe it um i mean if you've been sw if you've swum in the sea and you've ever been rolled by a wave you know sometimes you you want to catch a wave body surf or whatever and the next thing the wave rolls you you don't know whether you head you know upside down which way is the top which way is the bottom and there's just sand everywhere and the power of the sea Okay, and it's completely, you're completely enveloped in that wave. Now, what I experienced when God came in, when He poured His Spirit over me, that moment is like a million times more powerful. I experienced God as the Almighty. I experienced His power. I mean, when I'd used class A drugs and whatever, you feel bulletproof. You feel invincible. Now, that doesn't compare like a drop in the ocean to the power that I experienced there in God's presence. I, I knew at this exact same moment that He's holy, perfect, holy, without any sin, you know, just pure, pure, holy. And in the same moment, 
I saw all my sin flash before my eyes. And I knew that I deserved to die. I'm in God's presence. I don't deserve to be in His presence. I deserve to die. And I expected that. I expected that all, like this was all, I don't actually know if this was like two seconds, one second, or one hour. But I was sitting on my bed when I started that prayer. And now in God's presence, I wasn't aware of my body. I wasn't aware of my physical extremities. But when I came to, when I became aware of my body sometime later, however long it took, I was away from the bed, flat on the floor. And, um, and so I, I felt that I deserved to die right now. God deserves just to squash me. And, uh, and in that moment, God just said to me, No, I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. I love you. And I just broke. And I, and I just told God, the next thing I said to God was, Lord, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, I just felt his love, just waves of his love crashing over me. And I just said, God, take me with you. You know, you've come into my life now, and I was expecting him to go. And I was like, don't leave me alone. Take me with you. I don't want this life anymore. I just want to be in your presence. Like, I'd never experienced that before. I'd never really, really knew that, that he was real. You know, I mean, we'd, I'd, I'd heard about God. And I thought, well, if there is a God, yes, I hope that is like this God that I've heard of. And I think that I might see him one day when I die. And I hope that he thinks that I was good enough in my life so that he'll let me into heaven. You know, like kind of the scales. That's, that was my thinking around it. And, uh, and that somehow, you know, where we grow up and what we worship, somehow we, we're all going to end up at the same place. But... But now I knew that he was really real, and I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you could experience him. No one had told me. I didn't move in those kind of circles. And, uh, and so God was so gracious in revealing himself to me that night. And, and I said, God, take me. And then he said, no, I've got a job for you to do. And, uh, and then I said, okay, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do it, whatever and I carried on praying that, that whole night. So as I said, I don't know how long that experience took. But uh, I, I carried on praying and I was so aware of God's presence was so strong in, in my apartment. And, uh, and I had zero appetite to sleep or nothing. I just, you know, I mean, I've just met the creator of the universe, my creator and I'm busy talking to him. You're not going to say, okay, good night, God. See you tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know if he'd still be there tomorrow. You know? I, was, I was just in his prayer. I was just praying the whole night. And then by the time the morning came, I felt, here's a gap. I need to tell somebody. I just needed to tell. I phoned my mom. I just knew I needed to phone my mom. So I phoned her with my big Motorola M3588. <laughs> yeah. I said... My mom answered, I said, Mom, I've been reborn. That was the word I used. Now, I've never read John chapter 3 before that point. It's not the kind of scriptures they taught us in Sunday school. My, my Sunday school teacher used to announce a class party every week. So we had to bring chips and cool drink. And uh, if he didn't like what we brought, he would throw us with chalk. He would line us up. So that was my Sunday school experience. And we... Uh, we definitely didn't touch on uh, the book of John or John chapter 3. But my creator met with me and everything changed. He changed me from the inside out. And that was the word that came to me in that moment, how I described it. I said, Mom, I've been reborn. I said, I'm not the same person anymore. And, uh, and she just burst out crying and said, you're blessed, my son. And then the phone cut out. You pay as you go. So, but we need to have a personal encounter with Jesus unless we are born again we cannot see the kingdom of God unless everything changes unless we meet with our creator we need to get born of the spirit we've been born naturally into the world but there's something more important that needs to change that needs to come alive and that's when we say yes to Jesus and 
And for all of us, that happens in a different way, but the result is the same. When you've said yes to Jesus, things start to change. And it happens on the inside, and baptism is a, a public confirmation of what has happened in the heart. And, and your life starts changing. And that's what happened to me. And, uh, and so I realized later that morning that actually I meant to be at work. It was Monday morning. So I got ready and I went off to work. Told my boss, so sorry, you know, something happened. I'll, I'll tell you later. <laughs> and I went and I sat there at my, at my desk. And I started with my work. And I was sitting there for about 20 minutes. And, uh, and then I just felt God saying, you know, I must go back to South Africa. And so I'm like, okay. I got up, went to my boss. I resigned my job. And I went back home. And, uh, and I look around me. So now I must pack up, right? I've got to go back to South Africa. I must pack up. And I see everything around me reminds me of my old life. And it disgusts me. You know, I mean, uh, alcohol in the fridge, pornography. Um, I was very materialistic. There's all these you know, fancy clothes and jackets and watches and sunglasses and, you know, just everything to project the certain image, you know, what I'm aiming for. And it all just represented idols to me. And I just said, I'm going to get rid of everything. I'm, I've been reborn and I'm starting over. I'm not that person anymore. So I started piling everything into black bags, 13 black bags full of things, burnt pornography and broke all my, I was very proud of my CD collection. So I was a very angry and a, you know, aggressive person. You didn't have to press too many buttons to get punched by me that time. And, uh, and I had all this sort of aggro music, heavy metal stuff and whatever. And for the first time I saw, yo, this, this stuff is demonic, you know. <laughs> Um, and I started breaking CDs till my hands were bleeding. I had a massive CD collection. And, and uh, yeah, I'd, somehow God had me pray over these bags of clothes, like to bless it. And I mean, I didn't even know about blessing and cursing, but I prayed a blessing over those bags. Like, Lord, if someone finds these clothes, that it would be a blessing to them and not a curse. And I didn't have time. I didn't know where charity shops were or anything like that. So I went and just put these clothes all there in a row at the dumpster. And because I just need to move. God said, go to South Africa. So I'm trying to do a quick work here. But it was like in between I'm praying and God is delivering me of addictions and stuff. I'm crawling around on the floor feeling like I'm throwing up. But, you know, it's just spirits coming out. And, you know, the Lord's really doing a, a thorough job without me having had any sort of family to church family to help me or anything like that didn't even have a bible so god kind of just downloaded a kind of a starter pack and did a bit of a a job on me there and so i wasn't for three days i was busy cleaning out my house and being set free from stuff so i had like a little f4 by myself you know that monday to wednesday i didn't eat i didn't sleep i was just in the spirit. Um, I invited, I thought, no, you know, I was about to, and I start booking my tickets and these kind of things, and I invited my sister over. My younger sister, three years younger, was in London at the time. I thought, let me at least tell her before I go back. Um, but my spiritual eyes had opened, and I was, I was very aware that I'm a baby in the Lord, and that I'm not ready to tackle massive challenges or anything like that that i need to get equipped so i wasn't just you know going straight onto the street corners preaching the gospel i mean i didn't even have a bible yet i didn't know that you could buy a bible somewhere i didn't know where a church was near me nothing i didn't know another christian like no one had told me god is really really real so i didn't know anybody that knew god um and i invited my sister over and so she sees you know all these these black bags, she sees me, you know, getting rid of my possessions, my flat is busy emptying out, and so she's blessed by the fact that, you know, I, I look very happy, and, you know, obviously something exciting has happened, but at the same time, she's very concerned, this is not 
Tians. This is not how he normally acts or anything like that. You know, so it sounds good, but she's worried and one understands that. So she left and contacted a psychologist friend of the family who had someone sent over to come and see me. Now, in the meantime, I was continuing with my flat and, and I thought because God, I didn't have enough money to buy that flat. Okay, London's pretty expensive. And, and I was most now just starting out there again, you know. Um, but I thought because this was such a special place, God had met me here. This is like holy, you know, sacred ground that uh, I would be able to convince my parents to kind of invest in buying that place and something like that. So when I went through my possessions and everything and the flat, I did a proper job. I even sort of bent the fridge door. You know, all these appliances and stuff that I'd saved up for. I was very materialistic. I did a good job of destroying everything. Um, it's difficult for some to understand. Something I had to do, and I'm glad that I did it. I mean, the Lord took the love of those things out of my heart at that time. How I like to compare it is when Jesus asked the fishermen disciples to follow him, they immediately left their fishing boats and followed him. Now, as I've mentioned, my attitude of always wanting to do things 100% and whatever, sometimes like too far, my attitude with the Lord was kind of like, yes, Lord, I'm coming, but first let me destroy this fishing boat to show you that I'm never coming back to it. <laughs> and we see in the scriptures, the disciples went back to the fishing boats after Jesus was crucified. So I think I was on the, my attitude was in the right, you know, I was on the right track, but, uh, but I did a proper job of it. I don't, I don't regret it at all, but to other people are like, why did you do that? So, so there I'd, I'd bent the fridge door, I'd bent like a tap and whatever. Um, I was much stronger in those days, you know, <laughs> in my younger years. And so uh, I broke some plates. I mean, these are the same plates that uh, I used to fight with my girlfriend over for not washing properly. You can understand my motivation. These things made me feel sick. It was like idols in my life. And, uh, and so I just was destroying idols. And uh, knock on the door, in comes the psychologist. <laughs> so that is the scene. Broken plates, black bags. Big smile on my face. <laughs> Welcome. Come in. How can I help you? And so he takes one look around and he's like, um, will you come with me for an evaluation? <laughs> so I said, well, thank you, but I can only do what I feel God is telling me to do. And he didn't tell me about this evaluation. So, you know, no thanks. But can I ask you a question? Do you know God? And he was like, I'm not here to answer your questions. And he walks out. He storms out. You know, he's, he's, and uh, I thought, okay, that was strange. That was interesting. Um, but yeah, that, let me carry on here. And then it's about five minutes later and uh, two paramedics. And so they saw, because I think he saw a few drops of blood because I had now cut my hand a little bit with cleaning out my house. And so the two paramedics walk in. So now, you know, I'm a little bit perplexed what's happening. God didn't really warn me about this, but he gave me words in the moment. He's very faithful. You know, you'll be brought before all kinds of people. Don't worry about what you'll say. And the Holy Spirit was so there. And so I just said, welcome. And then I said to them, it's just a, a small little cut. Don't worry, I'm really fine. And I'm a man of peace. I won't hurt you, but don't touch me. Okay. <laughs> And I had the studio flat, and, and the area near the door was sort of the kitchen area. It was tiled. The rest was wooden floor. And so I was on the tiled area, and I said to them, you know, please come in, uh, but also don't, don't stand on this tiled area. This is holy ground. You're not, you're not allowed here. <laughs> and I said to them, I've got, I've got two questions for you. Are you afraid of dying? And do you know where you're going to go when you die? And, uh, but it was so under the power of the Holy Spirit, 
they just they dropped to the ground. It's like they didn't know why they were there anymore. And I sat there on my holy ground, and they sat there. <laughs> and I got to share with them. God had downloaded a lot of revelation, including about baptism as well. And, uh, and so I was sharing with them, you know, what my life was like and how God came in and things that he was showing me and how he loves everybody and he wants them to know him. And, and I got to minister to them, but, you know, not too long after, I don't know if it was 10 minutes or 15 minutes, another knock at the door and two policemen. So they now came to fetch me with handcuffs. And I just went through the same routine with them, welcomed them, said, look, I'm a man of peace. I won't hurt you, but don't touch me and don't come onto this holy ground. And I've got two questions for you. Are you afraid of dying? And do you know where you're going to go when you die? And the same result, and they drop to the ground. And I get to minister to them. Maybe half an hour later, two more policemen. Same story. Half an hour later, two more policemen. Same story. So the place is filling up with policemen. The department is obviously, they're sending people. No one's coming back. They send more people. I'm wondering in the back of my head, how am I going to get to South Africa? Because I keep getting guests and they're not really invited. But um, So I was convinced at that stage, you know, my relationship with God was, he's my commander in chief. I'm, I'm his soldier. He showed me in those three days, he gave me one revelation he gave me was he was busy raising up an army. Um, I don't know if it was in that day or for that year or whatever, but he gave me a number 50. And, and so I believe that I was one of 50 for that day or whatever it might have been. That's just the message I got. But that was my relationship. God says something and I do it. No emotions like that. Or what, I wasn't driven by emotion. I was motivated to obey God. And so, God, the last thing God said to me was, go to South Africa. And, and you know, God can only take you as far as your last step of obedience. And so, I was wondering if these guys managed to get me off of here, out to wherever they want to take me, hospital or something, that would constitute failing my mission. Okay, then it's all over. I didn't, God didn't give me a plan B. He just gave me one instruction and I wanted to make my heavenly father proud. I mean, I spent most of my life up to that point trying to make my earthly father proud. And it didn't seem to always work. And I certainly didn't want to fail my heavenly father. And, uh, and so I thought, well, if they were able to get me off of this holy ground where I felt safe. And I felt like I'm still in God's will, yeah. There's still an opportunity to fulfill the mission. If they somehow managed to lay hands on me and get me off. And I didn't think they would manage that. But if they were to do that, that, that would be the end. There would be a lightning bolt moment. And uh, that would be the end of my life. I'll go to heaven, but I'll sit right at the back in the failed mission seats. Right? <laughs> and I didn't want that. You know, I'm still a little bit competitive. You know, I'm not 100% perfect. And I really wanted to, at that stage, you know, I wanted to make God proud. And, and so I'm wondering what's going to happen. And so I thought, well, there is a chance that... Uh, these guys are going to thwart my plan and rather, you know, God's plan in my life and get me out of here. And, and there's going to be a lightning bolt. And so until that point, hopefully I can fill my apartment with as many policemen as possible. Maybe someone can even bring a camera and record something of what I'm saying and the message can go out. So at least a few people can, can be touched by, you know, by God through that story. So the place is busy filling up, and uh, then I hear something in the passageway, and I'm expecting soon to welcome my next pod of policemen, and, uh, but there's no knock at the door. The door just bursts open, and Goliath is standing there. <laughs> so they sent in the cavalry. They sent in the big boys, um, and this guy, you know, I'm still trying to show him my holy ground. But he takes, you know, no notice and jumps on me and has my right arm in a handcuff straight away. And I'm flat on the ground. And I don't know if his knees on my head or something like that. Um, I don't know if he was watching too much Law and Order or whatever. But <laughs> get down. And so 
in the same, just a, a, a reaction, I, th- I thrust my left arm into the bottom of the fridge, which was now slightly open because I'd been working on my fridge door. So in the bottom of the, the fridge was a deep freeze, and I grab hold of the element at the back, and I'm holding on, and I'm not aware of where my leg is. I'm wondering if it's still on the holy ground or how this lightning bolt is going to work. And I'm shouting at the top of my lungs from that instant, God loves you and I love you. Don't do this. God loves you and I love you. Don't do this. And uh, just hoping that as many people as possible can just at least hear that God loves them. And trying to convince these guys because I'm seriously expecting a lightning bolt. And I'm thinking probably they're going to get hurt in the process. And, uh, and so I'm holding on to this element. And obviously the guy's pulling at my arm and... Uh, I don't know how long I managed to hold on, whether it was 15 seconds or whatever, but I did a good job. And when he eventually pulled my arm out, I had never let go. I pulled that element with my arm. And so the gas shot out of the fridge and this policeman started choking. And he, so he's like rolling around the ground. They take him to an ambulance and they have me handcuffed. And then they take me to the ambulance after that. And I'm expecting this lightning bolt, but it's not coming. And I am continue shouting, God loves you, God loves you. And they put me in the ambulance next to this policeman. He's on oxygen. His eyes go this big. I'm next to him. I'm sorry, bro. I didn't mean for you to get hurt. (laughs) So it's a cozy ambulance ride to the hospital. um, And they wheel me out there at the psychiatric hospital. Lovely facility. Um, (laughs) And they sit me down in a, a big room, green room, because it's calming. And so, not that I needed it. I was a man of peace. So I went and I sat down. I'm, I'm you know, now I'm, I'm still all smiles, kind of waiting. You know, is the lightning bolt still, is God now busy somewhere else? What is happening? Um, and in file about 15 doctors and probably medical students all with long white coats and clipboards and they sit in a u-shape and look at me and i'm sitting on the floor looking at them still handcuffed and so one pipes up uh, what is your name so i tell them soldier of god and they start writing (laughs) yeah and i wait for them to calm down and i tell them what you want to know is what my parents named me at birth and so i told them my full name tianus conrad poe and then the next question uh, when were you born so i said three days ago so So i don't know if some of them were starting to think this is like a terminated two type of a scenario or whatever i'll be back um the tiancinator so I said three days ago, and they start writing frantically again. I wait for them to come. I said, what you want to know is when my mother gave birth to me, 4th of July, 77. And uh, then the coup de grace in psychology, the last question. So do you hear voices? So I said, well, God speaks to me. So I don't know if that counts. Um, And of course, you know, for a lot of that profession and particularly that part of the world, they're not really believing in God's existence. So, you know, you're just a clear psychotic case. And, yeah, they locked me up for two weeks. But, um, yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> you know, God really just uh, showed me that he's in control. That this didn't take him by surprise. And he encouraged me and, you know, reassured me that it's okay. You know, it's not... Uh, I mean, I had this, such a sense of urgency. People are dying without knowing about Jesus. And God just said, no, I've got this. You know, there's other people. We just got to get you equipped. You can slow down just a little bit. Um, you know, relax. Get a Bible. Start reading. I, I got my first Bible in that hospital. where I went straight to Revelation. How's this going to end? So, I'm not too fond of Revelation. <laughs> I didn't know what's going on there. I'm like, okay, Lord. Um, yeah, so just started reading the Bible and started sharing the good news with my fellow patients. Um, and obviously, yeah, there's a lot of people that are misunderstood and a lot of people that are actually demonically oppressed that's, that end up in mental homes. Um, and I, and suicide, people that are suicidal, just really the enemy stealing from me. I got to minister to each one separately 
in that time and got to encourage them and pray for them um, as far as I knew how to pray. I mean, I wasn't taught by any person, but I could just pray out of a sincere love for the Lord and love for people. And eventually, yeah, after two weeks, the doctor had to discharge me. His words to me, the ward doctor's words, were that uh, I've recovered the quickest of anyone they've ever seen. So maybe he based that on the fact that I wasn't breaking their plates or anything like that. Maybe that's what he expected. But the thing is, their plates weren't idols in my life, you know. I quite appreciated eating off a fixed plate in their hospital. Um, yeah, so I was just being super friendly and just really a good baby Christian in that place. And they let me go. Um, and so on my way out, after signing me out, he asked me, so do you still have your spiritual convictions? But with a real sort of ridicule in his voice and everything, thinking that I'm going to say, oh, thank you so much for uh, you know, healing me from that delusion or whatever. And, and I said to him, uh, yes, God still speaks to me. Bye-bye. And I walked out of there. And so uh, they should have seen the smile drop off of his face like nobody's business. But I went straight for the door. They gave me like this pick and pay bag worth of medicine, which I tucked in the bin and uh, went to find a Christian bookshop. And so, yeah, when I walked in, I thought it would be like a broom closet, you know, with a couple of dusty Bibles. It was like a three-level bookshop in the middle of London. And I was like, this is a whole new world. I mean, there was music, DVDs, everything. As I said, I didn't move in those circles. So <laughs> I got a Bible, and, uh, and then I decided, no, I've got, to get out, I've got to get out of London. And, you know, I just felt these eyes on me, and I just need to get into nature and just spend time with God. And so I went to work in a hotel and uh, spent all my time reading the Word and trying to evangelize my colleagues. It was difficult. There was a lot of mocking and everything. And that became challenging. After about three months, I decided now I must get back to London because there is at least churches. Working in the hotel industry, you can't really attend church. And uh, so I got a job in the city again. And I decided to stay to God gave me that peace to honor my rental contract and just pay for a little bit of damage to, to the apartment. Um, as I said, I thought that my dad would buy it for me, but he didn't. <laughs> So, so I stayed and paid it off, and then I got back to SA the next year, and, and the mission was to get equipped, and secondly, to spend time with my parents and just show them the love of God. My mom was um, devoted, but not sort of spirit-filled, if you know what I mean, and my dad was completely away from God. A year and a half later, they both committed their lives to Christ uh, in Shofar, in Stellenbosch. The Lord had, in, in the between, led me to Shofar through the Bible school and just told me, this is, this is your family, this is where you're going to grow and serve. And I just started serving. I did two voluntary years and uh, found my wife, got married the next year, worked in corporate again for a year. And then the Lord opened a door in, in ministry as a student pastor at Tigerberg. So I was there for three years and then planted in Tableview, then Franschuk. And then God came from left field with AE. But he took me back to when he saved me. And uh, for me personally, he, he challenged me that I was running the risk of getting into a comfort zone. And, you know, you can, you can serve God, but if you're not growing personally, you know, then, then it's no good. So God, you know, yes, it's tough. When you pray, God, use me, and then you feel used, don't be surprised. But at the same time, God actually wants to bless you as well. And he, wants, he needs you to grow, your personal relationship. You can get so busy with the things of God that you forget the God of the things. And, and so every now and then, in my life anyway, God needs to deep-end me. And he deep-ended me when he brought me into pastoring, and he's deep-ended me again. Um, but hallelujah, it's a good place to be outside my comfort zone. And it's just, uh, yeah, I just thank the Lord for what he's done in my life. I hope something of that has blessed you. Each one of us have a purpose and God challenging, is challenging us tonight again. I just feel Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so that's... That's not an easy life that you're called to denial, a cross. You know, who knows that if, you, if you're carrying a cross, anything like Jesus 
carried. You can't do anything else. You can't focus on anything else. It's 100%. It's all or nothing. Uh, you're not doing your own thing on the side while you're carrying a cross. But you've got to carry that cross. You, we don't have the luxury as God's children to put it down. And some of us need to pick up our crosses again. And we need to hear from God what He has in store for us. Um, so we can hear a lot of nice messages and encouraging stories, but what is God saying to you personally, and what are you doing about that? I'd like to pray for you tonight. I hope you've been encouraged, and I'd like you to be encouraged to tell your story more often. You've got a story. There's a, that, a place where God's story intersected with your story, and that's what makes your story powerful. It doesn't matter what the history because Jesus came in, your story is powerful. Let's bow our heads. Yes, Lord, I just want to thank you again for saving me, Lord. Lord, I was just such a sinner, Lord, like, like we all are sinners, Lord, and we cannot save ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the grace that you showed me. Thank you for the grace that you have for each and every one of us, for each one here. Lord, thank you for what you're busy doing in each life here tonight. Lord, you have been busy in our lives from the very beginning. From before the foundations of the world, you knew us. And you knew that we'd be in this time and place, and you've got a purpose for us to pursue. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing over each one here. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you will convict each and every one of us right now. As we draw near to you, Lord, whisper to us, show us what is it that you want us to do next. Or if there's something that you've asked us that we have not done, Lord, that you'll bring it to our remembrance, Lord, and grant us the opportunity to do it. Lord, you've called us, Lord, to, to make the difference in our generation. We live in a generation of unclean lips. We live in a generation that is lost and dying, blasphemous, confused. And it's getting tougher and tougher to be heard. But thank you that when we go, Lord, we don't go alone. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Lord, you, you are raising up an army, Lord, for this generation. We are on a battlefield and people are dying. And Lord, I ask that you will mobilize this army in front of me tonight to reach their generation. In the name of Jesus. If anyone's here tonight, no looking around. If you're here tonight and you know you need to Come back to God because maybe you've you've been drawing near you or you you knew him once but you've drifted in a sense that love has grown cold and you're not you can't say that you're sold out for Jesus. You can't say that you're carrying your cross right now, but you know there's a cross waiting for you to pick up and Tonight is such an opportunity to bend down and pick up that cross and follow hard after Jesus once more. As a child of God, you cannot afford to walk the other way. What is Jesus saying to you right now? If tonight you want to make a commitment to Jesus, or maybe you've never done that before, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm making an invitation right now. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and your Master right now, just raise up your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just going to give another moment the Lord is here he's speaking to us and you know 
just because you're a Christian doesn't mean it's plain sailing. Life is hard, but God is good. And it's been almost 16 years now following Jesus and I've got no regrets. God's gift to me and to all of us is no guilt in life and no fear in death. And then you are truly free. And the world cannot get its hooks into you because they cannot sell a content man anything. You are free. When you're following Christ 100%, you are free. And it's the great paradox and the world that's not spiritually discerning will never understand it. Because you have to, you have to meet Jesus. It's only then that things become clear. And tonight Jesus is here to meet with you. I don't know where you are in your life. But I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. He's your only hope. He's the only one that can forgive your sin and set you free. So I'm just asking one more time, if you want to say yes to Jesus tonight, put up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone like that? Thank you. Hallelujah. Can we stand together tonight? Let's stand together. We're going to pray in a second. I want to ask you a big favor. Just uh, I want to ask you if you've put up your hand to come just stand here with me. I want to pray for you in the front here. This is a big moment. I want to say this is all about you. Jesus loves you so much. You can trust Him. Come to the front. This is an act of faith. This is saving faith right here. Jesus is faithful. Tonight He's putting His hand on you. He's never going to let you go. He's got a plan for your life. As I said, it's not going to be easy. Don't be under any misconceptions. Sometimes it's incredibly hard, but you've got someone by your side every step of the way. There were more people with their hands up. Come to the front, please. We want to pray in a, in a second. Please come forward. If you're shy, just grab the person's hand next to you. Ask them to come with you. This is a family moment. We're all brothers and sisters here tonight. We rejoice in what God is busy doing. Just come forward. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. God is so faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's going to call you out onto the water. Who knows that walking on water is impossible unless God asks you to do it. Who knows that it's difficult and you can drown unless Jesus is with you. Tonight is about taking up your cross. Tonight is about saying yes to Jesus and no turning back. Life is too short to turn back. Life is too short to play games with God or go half measure. Jesus didn't go half measure on the cross. He gave his all for you. Thank you. Come forward. Come forward. Hallelujah. Okay. I want to just lead us in a prayer. If the church can just stretch out your hands to these precious people. They're about to become your brother and your sisters and another sister. Hallelujah. So stretch out your hands, speak blessing, put your faith together for absolute change, for transformation through the power of Jesus Christ. Pray this after me, people. Pray this after me. Heavenly Father, I come before you tonight. I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Right now I'm putting my trust in Jesus. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me on the cross. For taking my place and paying my penalty. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. That you rose from the dead. Now come live in me by your Spirit. I give myself to you. I will follow you, Jesus. Help me. Teach me your ways. Make me bold and courageous to stand in this evil age. Help me to love people with your love. Thank you that I'm now your child. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.
Amen. Hallelujah. Let's raise a shout to Jesus. Hallelujah. So, Matthew and the crew, they would love to just spend a moment with you and, and just be sure to get your details so that they can make sure you guys get the support that you need to follow Jesus. There's a good reason why Jesus said, you know, He's building His church, that we're going to come together because we need each other. He says that we should be one. So don't try and do this walk on your own. Please stay planted in the house of the Lord. This is a safe place. And uh, this is where you can also bring other people to hear the truth. And uh, I just want to thank this church. You guys are a loving family one. It's just, uh, it's just so evident. So keep it up. Keep loving Jesus. Keep loving people. And uh, the world may look like a mess, but God's plan will never fail. God is busy working all over the world. He's got children hard at work serving Him in His power. There's nowhere on this planet you can go where you don't find a fingerprint of God. So uh, don't ever lose hope. Yes, it's, it's getting dark, but your light is shining brighter. So keep shining for Jesus. Thank you so much that I could be here tonight. Thank you, Matthew. God bless you.